Hey, we are in a series called Laying Hold. And uh, as we walk through this series, we're talking about what it means to be making much of our Savior as we pray to Him, trust Him, and lean on Him. Uh, Laying hold, as we lay hold, not of His reluctance, but of His willingness. As we lay hold, not of His reluctance, but of His willingness. We've said that over and over and over again, right? May we grasp that our God loves us. He's longing to reach in and shape. God's got a plan. Man, lean in with all you've got. Trust in him and watch God work. And we've talked about all the different facets of prayer along the way as we've been moving along. And uh, today we're going to be looking at laying hold of waiting. Laying a hold of waiting. What does it mean to come storming the throne of grace and then hang on? And uh, what does that look like? So laying hold of waiting, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, as we get started here, the first point is bring your pain before your God and cry out. Bring your pain before your God and cry out. Man, there is no biblical waiting if there is not first a biblical crying out, a trusting in our God first, bringing it to him, all right? And so as we dig in today, we're going to be watching this story unfold in the first chapter of 1 Samuel here. And uh, we're looking now initially for the pain to be cried out. Watch for that as we go through this. Here we go. It says, there was a certain man of Ramathiam Zaphim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerahim, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf. An Ephrathite. All right, we're through that part. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> and, uh, there's some great baby names in there for you. We're all looking around. Uh, God bless you on that. And uh, so Elkanah, this dude who's got it going on, it says he had two wives. Okay. Everybody say, that's a bad plan. Dude, that is not a biblical plan. I'm telling you, there are a number of times where I was reading through Scripture, and especially in seminary, where I longed for a version of the Scripture that would have the phrase, and that was a bad plan, so that you can see it, and you're like, okay, okay. so that wasn't supposed to be that way. Like, there's some things going on, and so just so you know, yeah, this is definitely against God's uh, greater suggestion and guidance, and uh, this is not what was looked for. This was a bad plan plan, all right? So if you were thinking, hey, here's the justification for me to start looking into Mormonism or whatever, you're wrong, right? These passages are not for that. And he had two wives. It says the name of the one, and he starts to go into some details here. And I just want to make sure you're understanding a little bit of why two wives and what would happen in the original uh, kind of time back then. What would have happened is they would have married, this man would have married a a wife, and then they would have tried to have kids along the way. And if he was not able to have kids, and especially not able to have sons where his name and his lineage could be carried on, then some of them would have tended to go and marry another. They would have married a second wife trying to have children and specifically even sons, all right? And so it says the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children. But Hannah had no children. And so you can see that rolling out right here where Hannah was the one probably that he married first. 
and she ended up not having kids. And so because of it, he ended up marrying Peninnah so that he could have children with her. And uh, a very tough time in Hannah's life and a lot of heartache. And, um, and we may have some people in this room that are wrestling with that heartache. And, uh, and I just want you to know that we're, let's get very real with this, all right? This brings a serious amount of hurt and pain, and uh, we're hurting with you, and uh, we're wrestling with you through that, and we're praying for you in that. It says, now this man, Elkanah, used to go up year by year. Everybody say, that means faithful, right? Faithful. And and, uh, so he went year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas. And we don't need to worry much about them. This is a foreshadowing moment. It's actually telling us a little bit more about what's going to come in the rest of 1 Samuel. And basically, God's setting it up. He's like, look, I'm doing something. I'm doing something through Hannah, this woman, and I'm doing something in the nation of Israel. And in fact, Hophni and Phinehas They were horrible priests, and they had some major wrongdoing and selfishness going on, and you see it roll out in chapters two through four, really, and there's a lot that God takes care of. These guys need to be taken off the scene, and so their name is brought in. Just as a foreshadowing here, they are priests with a problem, all right? And uh, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. uh, What's going on here? Well, he would give a portion to Peninnah and a double portion to Hannah. What does that even mean? It means that as he went to sacrifice, he would bring meat with that sacrifice, and that would get um, put on an altar. It was for their sin, and it was for kind of a restoration moment. And so as the meat was basically cooked on the altar, if you will, there was some that was then cut and taken off the altar and given back to Elkanah. Elkanah would cut it up into pieces and hand that out to Peninnah and her kids. And they would end up taking this as sort of a fellowship celebration of, God, you are awesome, and thank you for this forgiveness. And there was sort of a a fellowship and a celebrating that took place there together. But notice he then gave a double portion to Hannah. In fact, that word is a little bit confusing in the original language. And so the word double portion, it could mean double. Uh, It could actually just mean special portion. In some way, being well thought out by Elkanah, he's like, man, Hannah, I know what you're going through and I'm bringing this to you. It could also be the word has built into it sort of the meaning of long-suffering, And so this could even be a long-suffering portion, like, I recognize what you're going through, and I'm hurting with you in this, and I'm giving you something alongside of you as I'm praying for you and I'm longing for you, right? That's definitely all built into the sense of the double portion being given to Hannah. Notice it says, because he loved her, because he loved her. He had this huge, passionate heart for Hannah and all that was going on. And then notice it says, though the Lord had closed her womb. Though the Lord had closed her womb. What's that mean? And well, remember in the Old Testament, they were under Deuteronomic law, right? The law that you'd find in the book of Deuteronomy. And so there was uh, cursing if you were under sin and there was blessing if you were following after God. 
And for many, they would tend to look at the situation you were walking through with your God. And if you were not able to have kids, they may say words like, it looks like you're under a curse of some sort. And how sad, how often they misunderstood what was actually going on. But that could have been sad. And so, you know, Elkanah sitting here could have been saying, look, I don't know what's going on, but somehow you're under sin and a curse. And, and instead he said, no, I love you. And I'm giving you a double portion. And I'm longing for you. And, and I'm hurting for you. And I'm hurting with you. And Elkanah. He loved her deeply, and he took care of her along the way, and he didn't judge or curse or try to come to some conclusion that many may have. Just so you know, when you have uh, two wives in a home, or let's just say two spouses even, if there's two husbands, for whatever bizarre reason you might have chosen this path, just so you know, it brings a lot of problem with it. And so the next sentence gives us a high clarity to that. And her rival... Because that's what happens when you actually have multiple spouses. Everybody say, it's a terrible plan. That wasn't even loud enough. Everybody say it again. I agree with you. That is a terrible plan. And so uh, her rival used to provoke her grievously and to irritate her. Great. Penina was a real nice person, right? And because the Lord had closed her womb. So this woman literally is able to have kids. She was brought in as the second wife. And now she begins to mock and judge and criticize. She's bringing heat on her and challenging her and asking her questions. And she's a rival who's bringing great dissatisfaction. And uh, it says, so it went year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And I'm just telling you, I, I knew this story from before, and I kind of always got the impression that, that Penina like, was always doing it, every day, all the time. But if you read this real carefully, it says, and every year as they went up, right? And so you got to imagine this was sort of like the, they're on their journey, and as they're starting out, they're like, oh, really? You're going to go up for the sacrifice again? You who apparently is being cursed by God. Why don't you get your sin clean? That's the kind of words that were being said. Do you understand that God's punishing? Why don't you get it right? As they continue to walk along and they head towards the sacrifice, every year as they went for the sacrifice, Penina was horrible. And it was devastating to Hannah. The challenge came on repeatedly, year after year. And it said, as often as they went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Hannah was devastated. Can you imagine the pain as it stands of just not being able to have a kid, but then you're in a house, let's be real, man, with a jerk, right? Mean, harsh, unruly, selfish. By the way, where is Elkanah in this moment? Good question to ask. Why is his name not coming in where he's standing up and stopping the whole thing? We don't know, but uh, he needed to be on this a little more and trying to resolve the problem. Hannah wept and she would not eat. Uh, she was sick both physically and emotionally 
with all that was going on. And, uh, and Elkanah, her husband, said, all right, guys, listen up. Everybody pay attention. This is what not to do. Guys, every guy in the room say not. This is not what you should be saying as your wife is struggling. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Right? That's not so bad. Like, honey, what's wrong? Are you okay? What's taking place? Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? All right, getting a little more tender and uncareful. Why is your heart sad? Remember, this is year after year after year, and he's asking her, why are you so sad? Like he's not remembering, he's not checking his brain to the fact that was shared. And, and then he says, <laughs> all right, I just can't even say it without laughing. I, he says, am I more to you, am I not more to you than 10 sons? Like, Come on, baby, you got me. Look at this. You got me and you're crying? Come on. What's the matter? Look at me. Come on, baby. Most women would kill to have a guy like this. Ten sons? Nothing. I, I don't, you got to be kidding me, man. Don't ever do that. And, and so the fair answer is, um, no, no, you're not enough. And uh, really, this is a serious heartache going on. And, and uh, Elkanah, completely clueless. I think it would have been fair for Hannah to be able to look to heaven at that moment when he's like, am I not enough? And for her to go, really? <laughs> like, for real, God? Like, I understand the struggle. That's hard enough, right? Then you send me this really mean second wife to live in and accuse me and attack me for real. And now I've got a husband who's a dork. And he can't figure anything out. And he's coming at me. And this is unfair. Like that would have been very reasonable for her. It says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Have you ever been there where you're crying so hard that someone would use the word bitter next to it, where it's taking all of you, you are spent. God, what are you doing? God, what is needed next? And she vowed a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And what's she saying? God, would you please bless me with a son? If you do, I will take him up. I will let him serve you apart from me. I will dedicate him to you. I won't let a razor touch his head. His hair won't be cut. His beard won't be cut. This comes right out of 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And this is a huge statement of the Nazarite vow as they're like making this dedication statement. I'll dedicate to you, God, if... And I'm, and I'm longing... For you to do a work. God, would you please? And uh, no razor shall touch his head. And God doing a huge work. How often we wrestle and we struggle with things 
that we do not understand what God's doing. And we don't know where he's headed. And we don't understand why he's choosing it. And uh, you see a proper response here, a crying out before our God. Man, bring it huge before your God. I'm just telling you this. There is no proper waiting on the Lord until we've properly cried out to the Lord. And uh, She's made a comment and a statement here in the midst of what it looks like to cry out. You know, this past week, uh, we were in Phoenix, Arizona. We were out there for a senior pastor retreat uh, with all the Harvest senior pastors, and uh, all the husbands and wives got together there. And uh, while we were out there just kind of working through uh, some of the different teaching elements and talking, we were dismissed from one of them, and we got a notification there, both through text and through email, that uh, Pastor Abraham's wife, remember Pastor Abraham, he's the senior pastor in Harvest, uh, Jack Haiti. Pastor Abraham, uh, his wife Evelyn had a stroke uh, on Monday or early Tuesday, we're not even sure which, and uh, we basically received information of it, and uh, we were all in the room, and so Pastor James McDonald just said, hey, everybody stop where you are, here's what's going on. He read the text off, and we all broke into groups of five or six, and, um, and we spent a while just crying out. God, would you please heal? Lord, would you please protect? He was on his way over to Port-au-Prince with Evelyn to get some help there. And man, just so you understand, the medical community in Haiti is um, not good. And uh, they give it a shot. They try hard. But there's a lot that they're not able to manage. And, And Lord, would you please give wisdom to doctors who may not even have it in the moment, may they be able to manage and help out. And Lord, we would just pray, would this be able to pass by? That's our request. And people praying that out and calling that out all over the place as 100 plus pastors, as Pastor Abraham had gotten his church to be praying on it. And so his whole church bringing it up and storming the throne of grace. And uh, we ended up receiving a text back late that night, early the next morning that said, um, Praise God, there is no internal or external evidence of any damage, and uh, we're returning home now. And a few hours later, we received another text that she was then at home resting and relaxing, and at this time, they still see no evidence of any damage done. And all of God's people said, man, praise God for that. And I'm just telling you, storm the throne of grace. Sometimes God chooses to answer right then. Sometimes God chooses to hang on. Sometimes God chooses to say, no, that's not the way we're going, but I love you. Trust me on this journey, right? And and whichever God's got in store, man, may God be given the full reins. Cry out to him and trust in him. And all of God's people said, all right. So simple question, what weighs heavy on your heart and what's pressing in right now? Maybe it's even the same exact topic of children. Maybe it's something physically you're going through or something a family member's going through. Maybe it's something with job, whatever it may be. Man, cry out to your God and lean on him. Trust him. Trust him for the yes Trust him for the hang on and trust him even in the, yeah, no, that's not where we're going. Trust him.
This is a huge moment as we storm the throne of grace and get real before our God. All right? Point number two. Wait on him and him alone until the answer is either yes or no. Wait on him and him alone until the answer is either yes or no. I cannot say this clear enough. Wait means to continue to pray it out, right? If you're in a, I haven't seen a no and I haven't seen a yes, then you continue to bring it to your God and you long to see him work. And it's not, Lord, just give me my way. I want what I want. It's, God, you're in charge, but I haven't seen a formal yes or no, so I'm leaning on you and whatever. And we wait until we've received a yes or a no, okay? Here we go. As she, Hannah, continued praying before the Lord, Eli, that's the priest at the temple, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. You can imagine this prayerful moment where she is bringing it and her heart is just crying it out and she's whispering it out. Her, her lips are moving. God, would you please do this, Lord? I just pray that you would. Right? But there's no like big voice being spoken out. And she's bringing it with passion in her heart as her lips move. And it says, therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. I don't even understand that. You're at a temple, and there's someone praying, and you're like, must be drunk. Really? I don't get the... the I would just say this. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Eli has an issue with discernment, okay? <laughs> Eli's got an issue with discernment. And in fact, you're going to see it come up because Hophni and Phinehas are his sons that'll come up in future chapters if you want to keep reading in 1 Samuel. And he doesn't pick off that these kids are class A problem, man. He's missing it. And, and Eli, not a whole lot of discernment, not exactly listening to and connected with God in this moment. And uh, Eli takes her to be drunken, and Eli says to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. And uh, again, probably fair for Hannah to be able to say, seriously, God, with what I'm struggling with and the woman who's on me and a husband who can't get it square what I'm going through. And now the priest doesn't even get. Could have gone that way. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, showing respect. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have, uh, I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. And I love that phrase. If you want a definition for power prayer, I am pouring out my soul before the Lord. I am sharing everything in me with the one who knows everything. I am revealing out the very depths of my soul, what I feel, what I think, how I'd act, my desires, my longings, my angst, my pain. I am pouring it out before you, God. You know it all. I'm not informing. I'm just sharing it out and getting real with you as I pour it before you. You are my God. Man, I'm telling you, there is no greater definition of power prayer than pouring out your soul before your God. Man, may you capture that depth of prayer. Lord, I want to get real with you in a way maybe that I ever have.
I want to pour out the deepness of the hurt and the angst of what's going on and reveal it out. Notice, by the way, her heart just spewing forth, her lips moving. I find it super good to continue to say things with my lips moving. It keeps my mind from getting distracted. Just a little tip when you're praying, you may want to go to a point where you are moving your lips to stay fervent in pouring out your prayer and your soul to your God. She says here, please do not regard me as a servant, as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Man, this is all I've been talking about. As you saw my lips moving, it's just pouring out to my God where I'm hurting. Then Eli answered her. Like in this moment, now he's had the aha. He's seeing what's taking place. God may be communicating with him. We're not sure what. But Eli ends up saying here, go in peace. And the God of Israel, Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. Now, please be careful. He's saying, basically, may God grant this to you, he, right? It hasn't come out as a full-on, God told me you're going to get that, but it's almost there. God grant you this. He's like hoping and willing and wishing it for her. He's communicating to her his longing for that and some element of God to her communication. And she's got some piece of answer from it and some peace that comes in it. Go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And now she's like, what? Can you imagine that moment? Years you have been praying and longing. Years you have been hoping and wanting. And as you finally share out with this guy, you're like, I have been weeping for this. And he's like, go, may it be granted to you. Are you for real? Like that has to go. It's got to almost take your breath away and stop you in your track. And she says, let your servant find favor in your eyes. In other words, please let that be so true. Please that. And uh, then the woman went her way and ate. Did it encourage her? Yes, it did. Remember before she was weeping, crying, and could not eat, and now she ate. Her face was no longer sad. She took on some level of encouragement as a man of God spoke forth some level of hope into her life and she was longing for that moment. And she's like, all right, I'm on this. They rose early in the morning and worshiped. Can you imagine what that worship was like? As she woke up the next day and she goes, okay, it's time. And bam, on your knees. And God, I am before you. And you are the one who answers. And now I'm counting on you. And God, please let this be true. And as they worshiped before the Lord, they went back to their house at Ramah. They went home. And I love this phrase then. The Hebrew here says, And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And uh, hey, just so you know, that's a biblical term that means that they were physically intimate, all right? And the word in the Hebrew is to know. He knew her. And it speaks of this deep, personal 
intimate relationship together. And I just want to camp for a second on this. It's super important. Man, this is how God views sex. And, and the world doesn't take this view. The world takes a very different view. The world's view is, you know, basically try sex first. If that works out, maybe you can build a little relationship. If that's going well, maybe someday you can actually have a little spiritual talk with each other along the way. And, uh, but God's view is build deep into this relationship with one another to be aware of and to be laughing together, to be sharing spiritually together, and then to be able from that to be able to share this uh, deepest, intimate relationship together to know. And the knowing is meant to be in the marriage relationship, all right? So keep it there. Put it there. And you might be in a spot where you're like, I haven't. I haven't done that. I've, I've gone a different direction. Please hear me on this. Man, God loves you. And God's ready to f- just move through that and forgive with all his power in the world. And man, walk you through a journey that will be so joyous. Go for this experience from now forward. And so if you're single right now, you're like, it's time, man. I'm committed to this. Lord, may I be able to see sex as a celebration or the depth of a marriage, and may I hold it for that and that alone. It's biblical, man. I just thought it's good that we spend a moment on it instead of skidding past it. To know, to know physically, to know spiritually, to know emotionally, to spend time deeply together with one another, to love one another. That's what it's all about, okay? And so set that aside, hold it for marriage, and uh, make that your prayer of what you're waiting for. And going after that. And, uh, all right. It says, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time. Just hang on. In due time. Those could be the roughest three words ever said. In due time. She's promised that she's going to have a son now, right? She feels this sense of promise from the man of God, and she's hoping and she's longing, and they've been together, and, and, but where's, and in due time, man, it screams, God is in charge of this thing. Look for his timing. In Due time. Man, waiting is all about finding in due time. We are longing for God to work in our lives in his timing. And so truly waiting on him is crying out, Lord, in your time, right? In due time. Just say those three words with me. In due time. That's waiting, being able to hang on and hope in the midst and watch God work in his timing and in due time. It said, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked him from the Lord. I have asked for him from the Lord. And Samuel, it literally means, uh, his name is God. Like, you want to know where this one came from? His name is God. Kind of that way. Some will even say, I think maybe it's a play on words, because the word his name is, uh, 
could actually be referred to as well as he heard me. There's sort of a play on words in it. And God heard me in the midst of this answer. But the most literal is his name is God. And that's who answered my prayer. And uh, Samuel, he is an answer to prayer. And hear me, he is a plan from God to cover all of Israel to take care of the future of what's going on. God knows exactly what's happening. And in the midst, he needed to be able to have someone who from the very youngest of ages was going to be walked in because of the failure of these other priests. And God has an answer to it. He's going to need a woman who's willing to have her son go over and be in the temple growing up there. And Hannah is now that woman as she's grown up in a way where she recognizes, God, you're in charge. And if you give me this, I will give him to you. Man, God has a plan. Do you believe that? That God has a plan and he's working in your life in due time. There could be possibly no tougher three words to quote out as you're wrestling through something. You know, as I said this past week, I was in Phoenix with Jana. We were out there for a senior pastor and wives retreat. And uh, so there's about uh, 100 pastors and their wives. So there's a good number of people out there. And uh, we were enjoying time together. I actually uh, was responsible for preaching on Monday night to them. So that was a nice privilege to be able to bring the word to them and challenge on Monday night to this group of pastors and their wives. And uh, And then on Tuesday, we had a couple of guys from Canada who shared and brought a challenge. And so the three of us kind of bringing the teach for the retreat and uh, just a sweet time to sit down with the people, to long with the people, to hear with the people, to be able to share my heart with them on Monday. And and, uh, we ended up bringing just a bit of a challenge on what does it mean to lean on the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus Christ says, I will build my church. May we not become people who say, no, no, I've got it. And uh, when you're talking to church planters, Lord, help us to be dependent on you, right? And so that was the big message on Monday night. And Lord, may we now bring it in prayer before you as we prayed individually. And then we prayed as couples. And Lord, we're committing this to you. May you take over. And uh, just a huge time in celebration as our God has it in hand, right? And, uh, but the bummer was I wasn't able to be here for Wednesday night. And uh, Wednesday was a Daniel study. And uh, so I was missing out on that. We had Pastor Mark bring the uh, second piece of Daniel on Wednesday night as he walked through that. And uh, I was missing out. And I was like, I'm, I'm really not good with it. So I was talking to Dan and Larry. I'm like, hey, what do you think if we were to uh, Skype me in? And uh, they're like, yeah, let's give it a shot. And I'm like, I'd like to be there for the question and answer time. It'd be kind of cool if we could kind of work the questions and answers together. And so they got the questions hitting both Mark down here at the front and hitting me in Phoenix. And uh, I was Skyped in and able to kind of interact with the Q&A time. And I was there for about 15 minutes ahead of it, just being able to hear Mark while they were kind of getting the technology set up and ready to rock and throw it into play. And, and so I'm listening to Mark kind of finish up the teach, and we're texting back and forth and saying, hey, are you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm ready there. Are you ready here? And, and uh, all kind of set to go. And Mark gets done, and it's time to go to the question and answer. And Mark's like, all right, well, so here's the first question. And he reads it out. And he's like, okay, there's no picture of Tim on the screen, and so I'll answer this question. And so Mark goes ahead and answers the first question, and Dan's working with a little bit of technology and getting it set, and we get it all kind of getting it nailed. He goes to the second question and uh, walks through it and then answers it because we weren't quite ready to go yet. I believe at that point I heard Mark say something like, maybe Pastor Tim's down by the pool. Uh, <laughs> He, he didn't know that I could hear him talking. I think he even said something like, don't tell him I said that, but it didn't work well. And uh, 
So just so you know, Mark was wrestling with the feelings of three words, in due time. It's coming, hang on. And he's like, do I go to yet another? And, and then they got it kicked up and we went live and I was able to walk through, you know, about 15 or 20 minutes of just answering some questions and echoing back some of what was being asked in the Daniel study and uh, just a sweet opportunity for me to connect in from Phoenix to be in here and a uh, sweet opportunity for Mark to experience the phrase, in due time. I'm telling you, no matter how small it is, wrestling with hang on, now's not the time, takes some skill doesn't it? It takes some trust as you're letting others run things and you're hanging on. Man, how are you doing at waiting? How are you doing at hanging on because there hasn't been a yes and there hasn't been a no, so you're trusting God and you're hanging on. And that is a huge huge spiritual moment in due time. I'm trusting in you, God. You've got this, all right? Now, number three, honor your God and stand by him even after the crisis. Honor your God and stand by him even after the crisis. Uh, The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice. Everybody say that means faithful, right? Yearly, and so regularly ongoing, he's staying faithful in who he is, the yearly sacrifice, and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. She's like, hey, when I bring him up, this is gonna be it. And so as I bring him up, I want him to dwell in the house of the Lord, not just for his lifetime physically here on earth, but forever. Man, she's referring to eternity in that moment. She's like, when I bring him to him, he will be in the presence of the Lord. Yes, here on earth. Yes, for all eternity. That's when I'm bringing it. Okay, good for us to know this, though. Uh, Just so you know, culturally at that time, they tended to nurse for somewhere between two and three years, okay, to about three years old. So to wean meant to hang on until they were three years old, all right? And somewhere in that age range. And so what she really just said is Elkanah's like, all right, here we go, babe. Time for us to head up. And she's like, hang on. I need three years. Are you hearing it? Like, hang on, I'm not going up there until. Give me three years. And so Elkanah's response, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Okay, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. In other words, all right, babe, I understand what you're saying. And I understand that it will be so much better when he is actually old enough to be eating regular food. I get that. Okay, and so I'm going to go with you on this one. Only make sure you make good on the promise you made to your God. You make sure that this is all about the Lord and his glory and his answer, and we're going to lift him up. Right, hon? That's the moment that's going on here. 
As he's like, make sure we're in the right frame of mind. May the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And, uh, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, getting ready for some big-time thanksgiving, worship, celebration, confession, and sacrifice. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. Man, can you imagine? Please don't skid through Scripture and read fast. This is a moment where she is now taking her three-year-old child, who she has longed for and prayed for and been in angst for, and this three-year-old who is able to toddle along next to her, she is now holding his hand as they're walking up to Eli to say goodbye and feel the pain that Hannah's feeling and feel the commitment that Hannah is holding on to. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. I got to be honest, I really don't understand that sentence. They're at the temple, and she's like, I'm the one who was here praying. Wouldn't you think he'd be like, there have been a lot of people here praying. Wouldn't you think? But she brings out this statement, I'm the one who was here praying. She doesn't say, I'm the one who you thought was drunk. I'm the one who was sobbing and whispering and you falsely accused me. She doesn't bring any of that. She's just like, I'm the one who was praying and it doesn't really give much answer here. Either Eli recognized her or God spoke to him or whatever. Somehow Eli grasps what's going on. And then she says, for this child, can you imagine her lifting up his hand or putting her hand on his back as she holds him close? For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. And that word lent there in the ESV also means I have dedicated him to the Lord. I have committed him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent or dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Samuel worshiped from the age of three. Now, you're going to find pretty fast right after it that the priest's blow up. They're terrible. They get thrown out. They're removed. It's done. They're needing a, a priest. And all of a sudden, Samuel is there. And as he's growing up in the house of God, Samuel is going to become a formidable force for the kingdom of God. And God has a plan. And man, ministry, it can be hard. And, and there's a separation of mom from son in the midst, and there's tough times in it, but God knows exactly what he's doing as he's going to walk this nation exactly where he wants them to be. And Samuel is going to be dealt with. What was Hannah experiencing? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18 to 21, you get kind of a feel for it. And uh, we won't go through it in depth, but it says, each year she came and made a robe for him and brought it to him. Each year, as he got older, she would make a bigger and bigger robe for her son, for her child. And can you imagine the hugs and the tears and the happiness and the sorrow 
as she's now made a new robe for him at the next level of ministry. It also says there, by the way, that Hannah had three sons and two more daughters. And God blessed in some other ways as she made this huge sacrifice. There was a blessing in. And a Hannah, understanding what it means to taste of sacrifice for your king. And God had a plan. And I'll just tell you this too. It says a little bit later about Samuel. It says that from the tribe of Dan to the tribe of Benjamin, his name was known. That the people were talking and they're like, did you hear? Did you hear what Samuel had to say as he was talking about, as he was moving towards, when he was calling this out? Did you hear what Samuel said about God? Samuel's even the one who ushers in the first king in Israel. Did you hear what Samuel has to say? Can you imagine Hannah behind that? She's like, that's my boy, right? That's my kid. Absolutely he's leading this nation. God had a plan. And I'm telling you, there are moments where we need to grip with all we've got and hang on to this one truth. God's got a plan. And he knows what he's doing. Wait. Wait on him. Hang on. In the middle of yes and no, we get very clear answers. But when we don't have that, hang on. And all of God's people said, laying hold of waiting. Super essential to power prayer as we pour out our soul before our God. Let's pray.